0: From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast. The debate over DACA and immigration reform reaches a stalemate, even threatening to shut down the government. Days after President Donald Trump makes vulgar remarks against Haiti and African nations, sending protesters to the streets. Reaction from all sides.
1: are trying to not be in some form of mass hysteria.
2: Should be sending back people who are here illegally. Is there
0: confidence in a compromise? They're working to find jobs for communities often left behind. It's
3: not just about the job, but how do we get people on a career pathway so they can make more money? The $6 million boost designed
0: to train a workforce of the future. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the effort to reform immigration. Progress on Capitol Hill has been slow, hampered by incendiary comments made by President Donald Trump, allegedly referring to Haiti and some nations in Africa as shithole countries and asking why more immigrants from Norway are not brought to America. Things which were hate-filled, vile, and racist. The president admitted he used tough language, but denied using the words reported. He has since stressed that he wants a merit-based immigration system, with Haitians hitting the streets. The Trump administration ended temporary protected status for tens of thousands of Haitians and other immigrants of color, with advocates crying bias. So, what does all this mean? Will there be compromise? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Sundrop Carter, executive director of the Pennsylvania Immigration and Citizenship Coalition, and Matt Wolf, an attorney and Republican ward leader in West Philadelphia. And on the phone, we have Stephanie Sylvain, president of Haitian Professionals of Philadelphia. Welcome to Flashpoint.
2: Happy to be here. Thank
0: you. Lawmakers in Washington are attempting to find a solution for DACA, and for immigration. Just your reaction to what's going on, because this is dominating the news cycle right now.
2: Donald Trump had a very frank meeting, I thought, with uh, congressional leaders that they actually televised. And he seemed to be open at that meeting to to a compromise. He flat out said that if they got a bill to him, he'd sign it. Not going to be easy to get a bill to his desk, unfortunately. I suspect that there's very little chance that if a, a bill that, that can pass both houses of Congress, that it, that the president's not going to sign it. I
4: mean, we're facing a crisis of the president's own making. He decided to end DACA on September 5th, 2017. And you know, send thousands of families across the country into uncertainty and fear. He could have left the program in place until there was a legislative fix. Um, So we're now in a crisis and he's just playing to the worst political impulses in his administration. And I just want to give uh, Stephanie an opportunity to speak up because
0: the Haitian community was front and center uh, in this debate.
1: There is great concern. And I think a lot of communities, not just our own, are trying to not be in some form of mass hysteria. You're talking about families. You're talking about children um, not trying to worry if maybe their parents will be sent away and then what will that mean for them? Will they be orphaned by this situation? I won't use the language that was used, but just to re- ref- refer to our country in such a state, is just hurtful from like a basic human level, let alone from the massive level of, What will that mean for families, individuals and individuals affect families and families affect communities and society as a whole?
0: CBS News did a poll. Three out of four Americans disagreed with the statement, but only half were personally bothered and 72 percent of Republicans were unbothered by it. I mean, are, does, do those numbers surprise you? Does that sound about right in America?
2: Well, I, it doesn't to me. I, I mean, frankly, I was offended by the statement. I think it's indefensible. That being said, you know, I think it's important to focus on policy. But people what,
0: feel like those statements impact the policy.
2: I, I hope it does not. Uh, it certainly doesn't uh, impact policy as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think that statements like that are indefensible and they, uh, and they distract from... Uh, from uh, attempting to move forward and and to reach any public policy goal that that makes sense here?
1: I do think it impacts it, and it impacts it a great deal. If you're going to say a country where people are from is a shithole, excuse my language, it wouldn't be a far stretch to say you view those people with a similar connotation. And I'm not saying this to say that with policy, there's not a discussion to be had, but to dismiss it, to me, we would be sadly mistaken, and that's and that's, and that's a fair point. It, p- mm-hmm. it, it is scary.
4: I think it is a fair point, and so I I think I agree we can just that. like look at the policy proposals and changes that have been made and see that those attitudes, those very ugly and racist attitudes that have been expressed, are in fact impacting policy. It was announced that Haitians are going to be excluded from I think the yeah. temporary worker program. Yeah. three days after a very hateful comment made by the president. Maybe in his heart of hearts. Our president, you know, does not believe the statements he says, but the policy proposals that he has enacted and proposed specifically target... Muslim communities, people of color, black communities. And that is like that's the real world human cost of these hateful. Statements. And I want
0: to be fair. President Obama was nicknamed the deporter in chief. Oh,
4: yes. We we use that, yes, <laughs> that all the
0: time. There was a love hate relationship between the Obama administration and the immigrant community. And now, you know, many have said that President Trump is simply enforcing current Im- immigration laws.
1: And, you know, Cherry, I think but. I think that touches back to the fact that that's why even as a representative and even as one that, you know, is personally and as a community hurt by the statement and outraged by the statement, I still agree that policy has to come on the forefront and a discussion has to continue and, you know, actions need to be taken. You have to factor in, how you know, how are these approaches being made and with what mindset? I'm a Haitian-American. Um, you know, where I'm yeah. of Haitian descent. Um, but, you know, I still have family to worry about. And, you know, just even approach of immigration, whether the discussion is it going to be family based or is it going to be merit based?
0: And that's and just, that's the discussion right now. Do you think I mean, this is sort of throwing huge obstacles in front of this debate.
2: Well, you know, maybe, but I, I don't see it uh, impacting the discussion among the people that count. And the people that count are the uh, elected uh, congressmen and sen- or, you know, House of Representatives and senators in Washington. There is opportunity for compromise here. And if they can get... A bill passed through the House and Senate uh, and put on the president's desk. I think there is very what little. What do you chance think that would look like?
0: It. Because there has been comment in Washington that no one knows what what the president will actually sign.
2: What the president said was that he'll if he, they get a bill on his desk, he'll sign it. Now, shouldn't surprise anybody that a piece of this is going to be, you know, a down payment on at least part of a wall because that's what the president uh, has uh, campaigned on, and there is enough support for that in Congress that it's going to be a piece of it. And if there are, you know, people that aren't going to vote for it because there's money in it for a wall, then it's not going to pass. You know, our visa program is kind of in a shambles or, you know, it's too easy to overstay your visa. Uh, It is actually more difficult than you can imagine to deport criminal immigrants.
4: There's a little bit of inaccuracy there. It is extremely easy to deport people. This myth that we can't deport people is something that is only a talking point for politics and has nothing to do with reality. People are deported every day. Families are ripped apart every day. Communities are damaged every day because we view, you know, certain people, primarily people of color and poor folks as expendable and that it's it doesn't count if we deport them because they're a, quote, felon, not families.
2: Well, and we should be sending back people who are here illegally. I'm not going to make any apologies for that. Uh, that's something that we need to be doing. Now, is it realistic to say that we're going to send 11 million people back? No. Hence the reason that we can you know try and forge a compromise on it.
0: In the 1800s, there was no immigration law. You could just show up on the borders and you could just walk over here, open up a business, and it wouldn't be a thing. It wasn't until the late 1800s when people started restricting people based on their Chinese ethnicity, and then in the 1900s, people from Eastern uh, Europe, like uh, if you were if you were Italian, if you were Jewish, they didn't want you in here. My grandfather was Greek. You see another opportunity to limit people based
4: on ethnicity, and
2: this is an
0: ethnic base. That's what people are saying. No, our immigration laws immigrants
4: the. The very first from the very first immigration law that was passed until modern day, every single immigration law we've had pretty much has been racially and ethnic based. You know, white was defined as Western European and sort of Southern and Eastern Europeans were excluded. But African immigrants basically 100 percent restricted and very limited until the '60s, and the diversity lottery was the very inadequate solution to that. And so, people, and so now yes. saying we're going to threaten the diversity lottery, lottery is basically saying we're willing to go backwards to pre-1965 versions of our racially based laws, that, which is a backwards no, that, step. That is we should absolutely be moving not the case. We should we, be moving forward. Is merit based system? In, in my I
2: mean, mind, online, it is not. It is. <laughs> well, in my mind, it's absolutely not. I mean, you know, we need immigrants. You know, our, our birth rates are down. Immigration is going to be critical to the future of our country. I have no problem with that. Immigrants are what makes America great. But by the same token, I, I, there's no reason that America shouldn't be uh, looking at bringing people in who have the uh, education level and the skills to assimilate and to... Uh, be employed and to be productive
1: I respect what you're saying and I respect the fact that maybe you think differently but when the comment is to refer to a country like that and then it's like why can't we get more of those other type of people are we really looking at it from a human standpoint but as approaches as long as they're educated as long as like you know maybe you know they're white with blonde hair and blue eyes
0: we had there was temporary (laughs) protected status That has been um, eliminated for for a lot of groups, and more groups are on the chopping block. You know, this was meant to be a temporary temporary. situation. It's not our fault that Congress has not, you know, come up with a fix for this. But this, it was supposed to be temporary. People weren't supposed to, you know, build lives here and stay here and become permanent citizens. That's the argument that we're hearing.
4: No, I hear the argument, and it's a great argument on paper, right? But what that doesn't do is it doesn't look at the actual world around us and say— Okay, maybe TPS was supposed to be temporary and it is Congress's responsibility to fix this. But the president has made a choice to tell once again, now a million people in this country between DACA and TPS, I'm sorry you have kids that are US citizens. I'm sorry you bought a house. I'm sorry you, you know, bought a, you know, started a business and are part of your community. Get the hell out. I've just decided. And he's telling again, telling predominantly People who don't look black like him. You know, black and brown and poor communities, yeah. and yellow. We are going to punish you for some political points. Instead of saying, Okay, yes, it's temporary, yes, DACA is like we would never argue as immigrant rights advocates that DACA should be permanent. It was a band aid on a gaping wound. But, but instead of addressing the gaping yeah, wound, yeah. he's just ripping the band aid off. Congress has literally been kicking this
0: ball back and forth yeah. for decades. Many years. Decades, decades. Decades has refused to do anything. And without this tension, literally, I mean, and
4: and it's a painful tension. Nothing has been done. I am skeptical. Skeptical that Congress is going to get its act together now because they're not willing to take a stand. Before I, I go to our final question, do you think that this issue, this immigration issue,
0: will be a major deciding point in the midterms?
4: God, I hope so. I,
2: I think it may. <laughs> uh, I think there are certain certain elements of it that are that are uh, that are important issues to a lot of people. It could impact the uh, the midterm elections, and it could impact them either way. When you say you, you hope so, be careful what you wish for.
1: I do agree. It can honestly go either way. As m- much as there are a lot of minorities who are Democrats or even independents, there are a number of minorities including immigrants who are Republican. A lot of you know, there H- were a H- lot H- of him
0: uh, Haitians that voted for Trump.
1: It'll be interesting to see where they are now and how they're feeling. There are a lot of people who think the same exact way and for those of us who thought we have we have approached a progressive movement, we got a reality check.
0: 15 seconds. Do you think we're going to nail this to the wall finally and have immigration reform.
2: There's a good chance that we're going to have immigration reform and there's going to be something that nobody's going to be perfectly happy with. A little better than 50-50, but not much better.
4: sundrop There's a chance that we're going to get... Um, some limited policy changes as part of the continuing resolution. The kind of immigration reform we really need, which is actually taking an honest look at our immigration system and fixing the problems that we're facing. Unfortunately, I don't think Congress has the backbone to do that. Last word, Stephanie.
1: I think, unfortunately, it'll be a continuation of some form of Band-Aid. That Band-Aid may result in a multitude of individuals Possibly being deported and/or in fear for what may happen to them and where they may end up. Our focus needs to be on a response that is political, financial, and one of solidarity. So I want to say
0: thank you to Matt Wolf, to Sundrop Carter, and to Stephanie Sylvain for talking about this flashpoint in the news. Next up, he's defying the odds, operating multiple businesses across the country.
5: If I can fail forward, that means I learned something.
0: One young mogul who's using his experience to teach other millennial business owners. Radio. 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 This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one of the issues that get Philly residents Hot under the collar is the disparity between minority owned and majority owned businesses. According to blackdemographics.com, the number of black owned businesses shot up 34% since 2012, but 95% of those businesses are sole proprietorships or partnerships with no paid employees. Locally, only 2.2% of businesses are black owned, but one entrepreneur, Garris Eddington, also known as One Young Mogul on social media, is finding major success with real estate, food franchises, and more. This former college athlete is sharing his knowledge while making money and changing the dialogue. Garris, welcome to Flashpoint. Hey, what's going on? When you're our business owner, everybody doesn't know all your business. Yeah. Could you give folks a brief rundown of who you are and where you came from?
5: Ah, oh, man. So originally I'm from Detroit, Michigan, but um, I'm a transplant from Atlanta, Georgia. I went to Florida State, Tallahassee for a long time, hung out there. And uh, I don't know, I started my entrepreneurship uh, lifestyle there in college. From uh, apartment managing, restaurant consulting, playing sports, all that at one time, they start saying you're uncoachable, so you have to figure out how to coach yourself, and especially on life. So I started focusing on becoming an entrepreneur.
0: So you started out with like a wing, pizza, sports bar. bar.
5: I opened a sports bar in Tallahassee called All Stars. Then I got the wing stop in 2006 and seven. Uh, with another uh, athlete, uh, Cozy Coleman from the Buccaneers.
0: And so then that sort of kind of got you into franchising.
5: Yeah, we started doing uh, franchising and restaurant consulting for a lot of other athletes.
0: Then you got into real estate, right. building restaurants kind of and building right. facilities from the ground up.
5: I started off as leasing as a part-time job when I had the restaurant. I'm working for Pinnacle and uh, another corporation driving around apartment complexes. So during that process, I started doing land acquisition, leasing, understanding the property management side of things, and then it gave me the opportunity to start building, took some of my own money, and started uh, investing. And so now where are you? Now we're a little bit different. We are moving a little in different markets. In Philadelphia, I have uh, the sleep sleep in at 1020 Cherry Street, a new hotel on 8th and Spring Garden that starts uh, the break ground next year. Uh, I have uh, the new apartment complex at 525 North 11th Street, and I'm still in food. Yeah, tell
0: um, people about you, because you got a spot in West Philly.
5: Yeah, I own a, a corporation, a new company, a franchise called Flying Crust, 14 flavors of wings, 12 gourmet pizzas. So what I did is I merged two restaurants that I had before, Red Brick Pizza and Wing Stop, and made this franchise.
0: Yeah, and that is just in Philly, because you also have stuff Philly going on Vegas. in Vegas. You are pretty young, though. A little bit, not really. 30s. Six. Now, you're known as one young mogul on social media. Talk about the mindset that it takes to sort of break the chains of some of these
5: disparities that we hear when we talk about minority-owned businesses. The easiest part for me is the dream. So when I decide, you know what, I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm not going to take no for an answer. It seems that doors open no matter if I force them to open or if I just wait until someone gives me the opportunity because I'm consistent. And uh, when I'm multitasking from the the new daycare to the new restaurants or to a new apartment complex or a single family house, I go in with the same mind state. I have to have a plan of execution.
0: Yeah. And so you work with a lot of startups. Somebody has an idea. They have a passion about something. They hire you. You come in mm-hmm. and you try to help them execute on that. Give right. me some the steps that you walk people through.
5: First, I sit down with them and try to figure out what are you really trying to do and what do you actually bring to the table? A lot of entrepreneurs think they bring something to the table and they really don't, or they find out that they're in the wrong position. Let's just say restaurants. You might have a chef. Um, that chef is usually in the kitchen when they start thinking about the front of the house versus the back of the house is when things go away because they are not front of the house individuals. You don't know customer service like that. You know food presentation, product control, and stuff like that. So I try to make sure that people are playing the roles that they need to play and stay in that position until the growth is there for you to be able to be allowed to come out of the kitchen. And uh, usually I focus on that. Or even with the real estate side of things, you got a lot of people that are just getting into real estate. They're like, well, I'm a real estate agent. Now I want to start flipping houses. They know nothing about construction. So I try to get them to focus on the small things first because the small things end up being something huge. And you end up saving money by paying attention to those small things at the beginning. It's a slippery slope. It's a dangerous And a black one. hole <laughs> sometimes. And you will end up losing all your dreams with that first go-round.
0: And that's one thing I will say about minority-owned businesses. A lot of times we don't have the capital mm-hmm. that it takes to sort of make these mistakes. And so could you talk about some of the big mistakes that you see fledgling entrepreneurs make? And then Hmm. I want you to talk about some of the things they get right and may not even know it.
5: So the biggest mistake a lot of individuals run into is asking for a partner before they have a plan. Most people look for family and friends to invest in their ideas. But when you look for family and friends and you can't tell me exactly how is my money being used, how long will it take before I get my return on investment, and what do I need to do to be a part of your mission to make sure that this is successful, dictating and divvying out duties. Most people don't do that. The things that they do get right, though, is start dreaming about something. Like, you know what, I think I want to get into real estate, but then how do I do that? And then they might find like-minded individuals that are hungry for it as well. Usually that two companies, those two partners can— Do well because they both are have the same goal, know what they're trying to get out of this, know what they can put into this to become successful.
0: It takes I mean, you have to give birth to your vision. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of energy to take it from an idea into a tangible thing Um, and multiple and and you have multiple tangible things. So you got a lot of babies out there just walking and talking and and breathing and, and making money and doing their own thing. Getting that first one. Living mm-hmm. and breathing and pumping that life into it is very difficult for a lot of folk.
5: Um, when they run into that roadblock or that big old brick wall that they didn't know exist even though it was there before they started, is when you lose that entrepreneurship spirit. Um, the reason that my babies grow, if you will, persistence is key, but preparation has been my biggest win. Usually that extra thought saves me a little bit of money. And even with recently with the daycare, I didn't know my daycare was going to cost me a hundred and some odd grand to build. But because I had the parcel already, it was a little bit easier. The key is just figuring out what is important and executing on getting that part taken care of first and then moving forward.
0: What about you growing up or did your family instill in you to help give you the confidence to be able to do something like this
5: and start it at such a young age? First thing that they ever taught me was it's okay to fail. Let me just fail for it. Let me not just fall and be like, I'm not getting back up. If I can fail forward, that means I learned something nine times out of 10. And the, after me learning something, what have I learned and how do I add that to my equation now? Um, my mother and father both allowed me to dream right with them. Even when I was in college, my dad was having a heart attack. Like, you got to do what? Are you sure you want to open a restaurant? Are you sure you want to do this while you're in school? He wasn't telling me, yo, you about to do something crazy. He saying, look, I'm to ride with you. I'm, I'm your father. I'm going to believe in you. But if you mess up, it's a lesson to be learned. Now we got to go a different direction, and most people don't want to take that lesson.
0: Give me one crisp example so folks can say, "Well, you know what?"
5: 2007, 2008, when the economy tanked, I lost that that wing stock. Loved the brand, but we had to close it because, when the economy, the wings were a little tad bit expensive, and then we only offered wings. But what I learned from that failure is that I added pizza. Now, when I open Flying Crust, I have pizza and wings, the same flavor. But I always have it in the back of my mind, I know how it feels to fail. After this, how do we make sure that we have this real stable ground? What is it that I can do every single day to keep me alive?
0: So that diversifying uh, your is. menu in a mm-hmm. way. Uh,
5: keeping it exact, though. Diversifying, but keeping it exact. Because a lot of people get that huge menu and, it's talk hard. About, and they mm-hmm. can't keep
0: up with it. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself going?
5: The only way you can keep going is never giving yourself a ceiling. I never stopped with just opening a restaurant. That was never my objective was to open one. My objective was to be an entrepreneur. It didn't matter what I was investing in as long as it was a return on that investment. Then I fell in love with my dreams, which end up being, you know, real estate, love it to death, Um, multi family sectors and stuff like that. The selling for me, the end all be all is to be that individual that people can reach out to and ask for information and get the information that they need to keep dreaming, especially the young youth they need it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things you do on social media. You provide a lot of coaching to folks. Tell people about that a little bit and why you want to sort of pour into others.
5: So one young mogul on IG uh, is really not about me. One young mogul is about the other entrepreneur that's dreaming. I'm just a part of being a mogul. You are not. You are the actual one young mogul. Um, and my objective is to feed and breathe life into your dreams, to give you that security, knowing that if I pick up the phone or if I call this guy, he's going to help. me. I'm hands on. You guys can come to my restaurants. You guys can come to the apartment complexes. We can really walk through here and you can get your hands dirty and figure out, wait a minute, this is what's behind that drywall. This is how apartment complex is built. This is how you flip a house without wondering. You have a lot of passion. That's a little dangerous.
0: Yeah, I I feel like, no, I I seriously feel that you are passionate about it. And then when you start talking about your entrepreneurialism, Mm -hmm. like you go into this space, where is that
5: space? It's been a long journey watching other people not believe in me. That's what fuels me is let me show someone else like, you know what, I'm a lead by example and then you can catch up.
0: So where can people find you? If they want to get inspired.
5: Go to One Young Mogul, the number one young mogul on IG or Gareth Eddington on uh, Facebook and you can find me. Thank you so much,
0: Garris Eddington, for being on Flashpoint. Thank you. Next up, they're training underserved communities for work. We're
3: trying to help our young people and our adults figure out where do their skills line up. The
0: city agency working to change poverty stats and the recent injection of funds they'll use to help. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and Philadelphia Works is the city's workforce development board. It invests in solutions to keep the city's workforce growing, and this month, the agency got a $6 million boost for a youth workforce initiative, but that's not all. Philadelphia Works also connects those in underserved communities to employers to ensure that no one is left behind. With me in the studio to discuss this change-making Work is CEO Patrick Clancy. Patrick, welcome to Flashpoint.
3: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I hope I did a good job of explaining what Philadelphia Works does, but could you... Give an overall explanation of sure, the mission.
3: Be happy to. Our, our mission is to really help individuals who are in transition. We'll work with individuals that are in public assistance or unemployment insurance, but also people returning from incarceration. Also looking at youth who maybe have lost their way a little bit and need another connection back into the workforce. So our goal is how do we get employers and job seekers together, but also figure out the missing link and the missing parts that really help people make that better connection.
0: Philadelphia is one of the poorest of the large cities in America. Talk about how this work is so critical to changing those statistics.
3: Yeah, I mean, right now the city has at least a 25 percent poverty rate. A poverty solution is a job. And for us, it's not just about the job, but how do we get people on a career pathway so they can make more money as that industry grows?
0: And so let's talk about this $6 million, state money. Tell me what that'll do uh, for the city and specifically for youth.
3: It will help a thousand youth that have been through the incarceration system. It'll help youth with disabilities. It'll help youth that are graduating from career and technical education from the school district. And the last group, which I think is the most critical group, is the foster children. Yeah. Right. These are the kids who are aging out of foster care and really need additional supports to find a job, get connected to school, and, and really help build them a future.
0: I had an opportunity to talk to a couple of the youth who are in the program at Youth Build specifically, and they, one young lady, she was like, you know, I didn't really have any direction in life. But now she's working in construction and sees a future for herself.
3: I mean, we have seven critical industries in our region, retail, hospitality, we have infrastructure and construction, we have transportation, we have health care, we have information technology. We're so fortunate that as a region, we're very diverse, but also because we're so diverse it have so many options, we're trying to help our young people and our adults figure out where do their skills line up according to the sort of career pathways that are growing.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about this fair chance hiring. <clears throat> people who are re-entering society have a really tough time and suffer discrimination because of their criminal past.
3: Yeah. So the fair chance hiring is is really an opportunity for the employer's and the city of Philadelphia to really strategize about how to help these individuals who are coming back from Because there's a large
0: number in Philly.
3: Unfortunately, the number could be as high as 20000 in a given year. And one of the programs we're looking at is sort of an incentive program. So the goal would be that you would take a chance on an individual that we pre-screen, that we make sure it has the right skills. And then if they work for you six months, then we give you $5,000. The other program we have is on-the-job training, which we can reimburse a wage from the very beginning as part of the program, to really offset any concerns or anxieties around the individuals who maybe you don't know enough about. Because I still think there's a stigma attached to individuals when they are coming back from incarceration. But unfortunately, the data is showing more and more that one out of three adults maybe had some interaction with the criminal justice system.
0: People don't realize it costs tens of thousands of dollars to incarcerate someone when they, if they were out in the workforce, they could be making that tens of thousands of dollars, and actually paying into uh, the tax system.
3: And when they get that second chance, they, they will do whatever it takes to be successful on that job. They have matured beyond probably their years, and they could be an excellent, excellent worker for you.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk to some of the folks who may be out there wanting to engage in with, with the workforce and get connected. How do you guys help them specifically um, sure. and, and how do they get in touch with you?
3: Yeah, sure. So there's a couple of ways they can reach out to us. We have a website. It's www.philaworks.org, P-H-I-L-A-Works.org. Philadelphia Works oversees and manages the four CareerLink centers in our city. Mm. So CareerLink centers are sort of the access points for all our services. We also have some access points in libraries. We're trying to expand our sort of vision and expand our outreach into the community because we think everybody should realize that we're there for everybody. What's the vision going forward? To build the workforce, particularly the literacy skills of our customers. Some of their reading and math skills are a little bit lower. But I think a lot of our programs are addressing that. And really what we try to tell individuals is lifelong learning is important. you got to keep learning new, new technologies. It's not just the soft skills, which is how to get to work on time, how to behave appropriately, but some of the technical skills. Everybody's going to have to eventually use an iPad or a computer for their work. So for us, it's about how do we constantly stay sort of linked to employers and linked to what they need. The other group that we're challenged with are people who are over 55, Yeah, You know, sometimes it's depressing when you don't have a job at that age. So we are trying to put in special services for those individuals so they can get back in the workplace as well.
0: Want to work? There's jobs out there. Thank you so much um, to Patrick Clancy for coming in and good luck with Philadelphia
3: Works. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right.
0: That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. You can follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to get your podcast. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know, and we'll walk you through the flames. As Winston Churchill once said... Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg.
2: Until next week, thanks for listening.